Hello and welcome to Real Men Feel. I am your host, Andy Grant. If you're joining us for the first time or if you're joining us for the 34th time, Real Men Feel is all about creating a space for men to allow and express and get into and be okay with whatever they are feeling. Um, we do that via this weekly podcast. We do that at a website called realmenfeel.org. We do that with a private Facebook group. We do it with a public Facebook page called Real Men Feel Show on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter at realmenfeel.org. Um, but we, uh, we gather here every Tuesday at 8 p.m. live, and then we're syndicated onto YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, and beyond uh, just to talk about being a dude. What shows up? What's it all about? Sometimes we have guests. Sometimes we even have women guests because, yes, before being a man, we're actually human. And uh, we accept other humans here as well. Uh, with me, as always, is uh, my friend and co-host, Apio Hunter. Hey, Andy. How are you doing today? Great. I'm actually really glad that we're doing this show tonight because it's, it gives us a nice break from what's going on outside of... Uh... Yes, yes. For, for anyone catching the show uh, later, um, tonight is election night in the United States. Um, polls have closed where I am in Massachusetts, but they must still be open for you right now. Yes, yes, they are. I'm two hours behind you, and they still are open. Um, interesting thing about here in Utah is that we actually do have not only early voting, but we also have vote by mail. So I actually turned in my ballot uh, about a week or so ago. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I don't even have to worry about it. I just stayed at home and chilled the, you know, most of the day. And ironically, I had today off. So it, it was perfect. Awesome. Awesome. So um, for this week's show, it, it, it's Apio and I. We're going to talk about um, being a man among men, the, the notion of, of spending time in male-only groups. This is really coming about because two weeks ago in episode 32, I shared about my experience with the Mankind Project's new warrior training adventure, which was a weekend event of nothing but men. And it was my first time doing any sort of personal growth event, transformational event, even a class that was nothing but men. And this past weekend was the graduation and homecoming. And we got to gather again uh, and see the staff and see my new fellow new brothers. Most of them showed up and it was, uh, it was really nice. And that morning, my, my old shit showed up like, oh, I don't want to go there. It's going to be stupid and lame. I don't know what we're going to do there. I should just blow this off. And I was like, no, I told people I was going. And this is a, a habit I've had far back as I can remember that uh, I'll promise friends to do something. Yeah, I'm all in, I'm into that. And I just blow them off. Don't, don't tell them I'm not coming. I just blow it off. But I decided, no, mm -hmm. the big part of it was, you know, integrity and commitment. So I was like, I'm going. And uh, it was really good because I heard lots of great feedback about, about this very show. Um, we picked up a lot of new subscribers, new fans. It was great to hear from people. And it was great to hear other guys talk about what they've noticed in themselves. And there were also family members saying what they had noticed in their men in the previous two weeks. Hmm. So it was really cool just, just to witness that. But, um, you know, so that's what kind of got us on this subject. But as I was sharing all of that, my experience with the Mankind Project, you know, Apio's had his own experiences with, with male-only groups and scenarios. So we wanted to make the space to, to dive deeper into that. Sure, yeah. So might as well just uh, <laughs> jump right in. My experience really goes back um, couple of decades actually um for those who have been following the show pretty much since its inception you know a little bit about my background and i've talked a little bit about it but um this is 
So that's going to be kind of a big deal for me because it's really where I open up um, in more detail about some of my previous experiences and uh, talk about that and where it led me and how I ended up getting involved with men's groups as part of my own healing process. So, um, you know, for those who, ha who are just joining us for the first time, um, I grew up LDS. Um, I grew up in an LDS family, LDS for Latter-day Saint Mormon family, for those who, <laughs> who aren't familiar with the terminology. I've been noticing that in, in mainstream media nowadays, they are actually starting to refer to Mormons as LDS because that's how Mormons refer to themselves, you know, Latter-day Saints. So I grew up in a Mormon family and grew up in a community that was, you know, very, very religious, very uh, conservative, which um, was a bit of a challenge because, uh, you know, I had always identified myself, uh, well, not really identified myself, but I had always held an attraction toward other men. And so growing up gay in a Mormon family in, a, in that type of a religious community was, was very, very challenging. Um, around the time I was in my late teens, early 20s, I experienced some some very traumatic events that uh, led me to decide that, you know, I, I just couldn't deal with this anymore. And I wound up going through conversion therapy. And that time in conversion therapy was actually what took me to the point where I ended up getting involved with other men's groups in order to, as, again, part of my healing process. Conversion therapy was not known as conversion therapy back at the time that I was actually going through it. Back then, it was actually known as reparative therapy. Um, what's interesting is that I, I found the, the name change to be rather curious, um, probably because of the pushback it was getting not only from just society in general, but most especially from within the psychological community, the American Psychological Association and others within the medical community, you know, that there's nothing to repair because the whole idea behind it was that somehow you're, it was very rooted. Conversion therapy is very much rooted in disproven theories, um, much of it uh, taken from Freudian thinking. And, um, you know, the absent father, overbearing mother, not being able to identify so with, with other men, and so therefore you have this attraction to other men because you never have never been able to identify to, with them in a, in a healthy way. And so all of that was part of, of the whole conversion therapy experience, or as it was called, reparative. And they're, they're trying to repair that identity, if you will. Is this something you sought out and wanted to be part of, or is it something kind of your family sent you to? Like how, did it, how did it play out for you ending up there? Um, my mom had held it in the back burner for a long time, actually. She had been aware of it, but was never was looking for the right opportunity to present it to me. And then when I had an experience, a very, very traumatic breakup with somebody that I had been seeing, it was distressful enough that she presented it to me. I was like, okay, yes, I'll do it. So it was completely voluntary on my part. And so I still had yeah. So you were at least open to the idea that maybe there's something in me that does need repairing? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely, yes. Absolutely, yes. And so, you know, I started going to therapy. I started, you know, getting, you know, and because it was presented as kind of like a life-saving type of a thing, I was, I was in a desperate situation. I was, it was the first time 
that I had come very close to taking my own life. And as uh, you know, in our own conversations, um, you know that even though I had never actually attempted suicide, I'd come very close to that on multiple occasions. Um, I was just too chicken shit to actually follow through and you know, try to do it. Um, it's a good thing. Absolutely. Fear actually ended up saving me. Fear was one of, that was one of those times when fear actually ended up serving me and serving me well. For the most times, it's actually, you know, screwed up my life. But uh, <laughs> that, that's, that's a whole different uh, topic and episode of, of Real Men Feel, of how, you know, fear, fear can really screw us up. Um, so, so, yeah, I went into it. And, of course, you know, I think that's one of the more insidious parts of... of well, let me let me take a step back. I, I don't want to approach this from the place of anger or criticism or anything like that because there were aspects of the therapy that were helpful. Um, it taught me how to build good relationships, solid relationships that were that were non-sexual for one. It would it taught me how to appreciate myself and really take a hard look at myself and ask myself questions and take responsibility for myself. So there were elements of the conversion therapy that were good for me, but nevertheless, you know, it seems to really prey on the person who is desperate for some type of validation. And in the end, I can, my experience is very much what many other people had experienced, which was a, um, a love-hate relationship. You learn to love yourself and hate everything about you. There was, I, I had reached a level of self-loathing because it's, even though, you know, I was doing all the things I was told to do, you know, pray, go to church, go, you know, read the scriptures, blah, 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 you know, all the religious things, you know, with, with elements of, of psychology that were that were mixed in with that um it was i i still you know i had those attractions and everything else in fact i wrote a rather humorous piece in fact i shared it with you one time a while back um about my experience in conversion therapy and how really the best thing that came out of it is that i several lost some blowjobs you know <laughs> so, so is that in the flyer? <laughs> <laughs> that one they leave out. That one they deliberately leave out. <laughs> so, but but during this process, I started getting involved with um, with a group called Evergreen International. Evergreen was the Mormon equivalent of Exodus International. Exodus was for uh, probably many people might have heard of Exodus. It was uh, an evangelical Christian group that was uh, very much promoter of, of, of the conversion therapy. And a number of years ago, it ended up being completely discredited. The whole organization ended up falling apart because the president himself said, I'm, you know, stepped forward publicly and said, this does not work. And I'm so sorry for the harm that we've done. And I can tell you from my own personal experience, there are people with whom I went through conversion therapy that are no longer with us. They did take their lives. And it was a direct result of the experiences that they had. They learned, rather than learning to love and appreciate themselves, it had the opposite effect. They ended up hating themselves even more. And really, um, they couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle it. 
yeah, I was in that space too because it's like something's broken, something's wrong with me. Yes, I need to be repaired and so forth. But so becoming a member of this this organization was kind of like a way of associating with other men in a way of, of organizing things, working as a team, working as, you know, because I ended up uh, being on a steering committee for several of, of the, of the uh, conferences that were held. And um, again, learning to, learning to have a type of interaction and learning, you know, healthy, non-trauma drama type of, rea- of of interactions with other men again was a good experience and eventually i'm like you know what this isn't working for me i need to go somewhere else i need to do something else i need to go somewhere where nobody really knows of my background knows of my history and just learn how to be me how learn how to be amongst men be a man amongst men and just truly be comfortable in my own skin and that's when uh, that was still I was still in my early twenties, uh, so I was still going to school at the uh, you know at the University of Utah, and I decided why not join a fraternity. <laughs> so so I did. I joined the fraternity, um, and it was the most amazing experience I ever had. Like you, when you were talking about the new warrior training and and your experience of just being amongst all these men, my very first um, experience. When I, you know, I went through the whole rush week and, you know, trying to decide which, which house I wanted to join and so forth, I ended up joining a, a Mormon fraternity, Sigma Gamma Chi. And our chapter, the chapter that I joined, um, had this uh, week, retreat, a, a weekend retreat. The, every, so when they decided to, when they accepted the new members, um, they took all of the new members who had just pledged all the new pledges up to up to uh, the advisor's cabin up in the mountains, and we just spent an incredible time up there, just bonding, talking, playing basketball, whatever. Just it was the first time that I felt like I was I was really being accepted for myself. Yes, granted, I was withholding a part of myself. But I didn't feel like I was really withholding a part of myself. I was like, you know what, that, that part's behind me. I no longer identify. My, my identity is no longer t- tied to my sexual orientation. My identity, my identity is tied to me as a human being. And the fact that, you know, I happened to be attracted to other men was a, was a non-issue at that point in my life. And it still is a non-issue now. But so, so you... Let me just understand. You were, you realized you were still attracted to other men then. Mm-hmm. It just it it just wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a, a big aspect. Exactly. No, it was not a big aspect of my life. For me, it was more. I was more focused on healing, on growing, on getting to know myself as a human being, having wonder good experiences as a human being. That was the first real period in my life where I was introduced to the whole idea of of personal growth. And some of the some of the ideas that were and concepts that are that are uh, the foundation of of the whole personal growth movement and personal development movement. Um, it was it was an amazing honestly it was an amazing time and 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 I ended up becoming an officer in the fraternity. I become very very involved. Um, 
you know, <laughs> we had this award ceremony every year called the Golden Bettys, where and every year the, the statues were, were just, were, they were made from scratch. They were really funny, usually just a bunch of broken um, Barbie dolls that were that were stuck onto a frisbee and then painted gold. And depending on the award, they were just they they, they were made into some really funny positions. But I was surprised to be honored a couple of years with the with the, the with the Die Hard award. You know, I I was like the chapter Die Hard. I was like always there, always involved, always in the middle of everything, being the brother for all the brothers, being the brother that people could always go to and rely on for anything. And so it was, um, it was an incredible experience and an experience that I've never had since. And so when you were talking about the new warrior training and, and what you guys went through, especially since it was just an all-male group, it took me back to those days. It reminded me of those, those beautiful years when I was still in college. And even shortly after, I stayed involved with the fraternity for a while, shortly after I, I left school. Um, I was still involved, still going to the weekends, um, very much a part of, of being part of that brotherhood, being, you know, being um, a man amongst men. It was like, like you, I felt a level of enthusiasm that just you know, sent me through the roof. And at the same time, I couldn't, I was having a hard time. Even now I have a hard time finding the words to describe what the experience is like. And it, it wasn't your typical fraternity, you know, booze and, and booze and boobs and everything else. No, it was um, because it was sponsored by a religious institution. You know, there were certain standards and so forth, which I was actually kind of grateful for. And that's one of the reasons why I deliberately chose that particular fraternity to join. Just because it didn't feel like I wouldn't be pressured into having to prove myself as a man by, you know, boffing, you know, the, the, the sorority girls next door or whatever. Right. right. So it wasn't the Animal House uh, style of house at all. No, no, it wasn't. It, it, it really wasn't. So that was perhaps my biggest fear. It's like, oh, my gosh. It's like, what if I'm expected? You know, what if I'm outed or whatever? Um. And I'm really glad. I'm really glad that I joined that fraternity to that had those particular standards and expectations of its of their members because it really did help me experience something that, you know, I found that was was, was really interesting. And this is something that we had talked about before in a, in previous in a previous episode. I can't remember which one. How when I was talking when I was talking about same gender attraction, and you mentioned made a comment about, and I said you said same gender attraction versus same sex attraction, and and the reason why I always chose that deliberately and chose chose the same gender things you know deliberately is because as human beings and especially as men, we have this we have this interesting way of always trying to mix sex in with everything you know we've, talk, we've had episodes where we've talked about that where we, how we tend to hypersexualize or over sexualize everything and so it was a really good experience for me to be in a place where it were the 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 sexual aspects of being a man were secondary to just being a man so do you, do you think you, you wouldn't have gotten there if you hadn't gone through that, that therapy experience? I, yes. The therapy experience was actually, in a you know, funny way, it actually ended up leading to a very positive experience. So the therapy itself ended up causing a lot of damage, which even now I'm surprised to find some of the residual scars from that experience still popping up. 
know, knee-jerk and fearful reactions that, that from that time still, you know, surprise me occasionally. But had it not been for that, had it not been for my my involvement, you know, I was actually for a while, for a while I was kind of held up as like a poster boy of how no reparative therapy worked. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, I met with high authorities within the within the Mormon Church, and and you know was was one of the key members of the of the of the conference committee. Helped organize the conferences and everything else. Um, got to know many people. We branch. We actually reached out to a number of members, high placed members within Exodus International. I got to know them, and you know there, there, there's a lot of stuff going on, and that involvement. Had it not been for that, had it not been for me, because when I when I commit to something, I'm a hundred ten percent into it. You know, it's it's all or nothing for me. And it's like either, damn it, I'm going to be straight, or no, I'm not going to be around. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, I, I, there is a direct correlation between my experience in the in the reparative therapy or conversion therapy and and getting involved with the fraternity, getting involved with other men group men's groups, and having that experience and being able to really be there. Now I feel even better and more comfortable in my own skin, knowing that I can just be a man with a husband amongst other men and not have it be an issue. Mm. When, when you were kind of held up as the success of, of this program, did, did you believe it, quote unquote, worked? Or were you just more comfortable in, you know, in, in hiding or shutting down? I genuinely believed at the time that it was working because I was so focused on healing that I didn't have time to think about you know, am I dating somebody? Am I, you know, whatever? I mean, yes, we're opportun- opportunities would, would arise, no pun intended. Um, sure, yes, I would take advantage of those opportunities of, you know, having, having an experience with another guy or whatever, but uh, it wasn't my focus. And so I genuinely believed that because I was focused on becoming a good human being, that it was working. And yet... You know, I, I look back on that time and I think, you know, I was, I was deceiving myself. I was so wanting to believe the story I was telling myself. I wanted to believe it. I desperately wanted to believe it. And yet I knew that it was, it was just another story. Well, yeah. I, I, I find it uh, amazing that <laughs> you, you have a, a positive spin and like it ended up bringing you to somewhere that really did help you and bring you healing. Cause I, I've only heard stories of, you know, someone went to this and yeah, ended up in suicide. They just ended up, you know, yeah. just worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess, you know, I guess being the golden boy of this <laughs> therapy is, you know, it served you, right? <laughs> it did serve me. It, it, it really, really did. Um, you know, it's funny because even though I stay in contact with a lot of my old fraternity brothers, you know, they all know about me now and, you know, it's, it's not a big deal. And for those who have chosen to not to associate with me, that's fine. You know, and those who have continued to be a support and those who have continued to identify themselves as my brothers. You now I'm even more grateful to them. I'm even more grateful that, you know, we can, we can still, you know, because honestly, that is such a small aspect of our, of our experience as human beings especially as men, but most importantly, as human beings. 
it's, I personally look forward to the day when, when the biological drive to keep the species alive becomes just that. It's a, it's a matter of biology and not an, an all-consuming aspect of our psyche and our personalities and, and, the, and how we make decisions and everything else. Um, I look forward to that day. You know, I can see how, how the Mankind Project helps to reinforce being a responsible male. And I, I'm gratified and I'm encouraged to see how many men's groups around the world are recognizing that we need to, that it's important to separate, it's to A, recognize that it's very much a part of who we are, but B, separate it out so that we can focus on being human beings being complete and whole human beings, responsible human beings. And that's one aspect of our, of our personality. It's one aspect of our existence. It's, it's a very wonderful, incredible part of our existence. Yeah, so it's, and it's cool to see, to witness that, that changing in society too. Not, this is a men's group and we mean straight men. And oh, over here we have the gay men's group. And it, no, now it's just, it's just men's yeah. group. It, it, exactly, exactly. And I can tell you, you know, at least certainly from, you know, from our generation, because, uh, you know, we were very close in age, our generation, there, there still is kind of like that idea of the separation of, you know, and, and, and boys, it, it, it's funny because I can see, I actually do go to men's groups that are exclusively focused on the LGBT community or the, the, the G aspect of the, of, the, of the community and, you know, for older men. Because as you age, unfortunately, the LGBT community, particularly the gay male community, is so youth-focused, so youth-centric, so obsessed with youth and beauty and everything else that as you age, you just kind of like get cast aside. And so I, I do you know, go as, as, uh, to participate and also to help you know, support those who, who need that emotional support to provide that sense of community. It's a different dynamic. It is a different dynamic because, you know, in that time and in that generation, um, especially if we get a bunch of gay men together, I mean, there is, there are those elements of the trauma and drama that just, you know, you want to face palm. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, this is like so cliche and so stereotypical. <laughs> Yet at the same time, um, I can see how the community itself has evolved, especially those of us who are, who were considered part of the pioneering generations to help bring about that acceptance, yeah. the general societal acceptance. And, um, and it was the beginning of this, I think it was February or March of this year that I first created my in-person men's group that I facilitate. Right. And I knew like I wanted to be open to men of any sexual orientation or however they identify themselves. And I think it was the second meeting and I intentionally didn't have any rules, didn't really say anything, but I was like, you know, I, here's what I think, and I want to be open, and does anyone here have, a, have an issue with if this was open and regardless of sexual orientation? And, you know, two guys were like, well, I hope not, because I'm gay. I'm like, oh, great, we're already past this hurdle then. Fine. It, it, does, it doesn't have to be addressed, and it just, we're getting exactly. here. Let's, let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, and, I, and I really see how we have, as a society, generally, we have moved on. Yes, there are those who 
and, and again, this is not a meditative criticism, merely an observation. There are those who have deeply held religious beliefs, dogmatic beliefs, who it, for them, it's just like, oh my gosh, you know, and, and, and you know, it'll send them off into a frenzy. And to that, I simply say, you know what? Everybody is entitled to their beliefs. But well, as long as we are obsessed with what other people are doing, we're never going to be able to truly become the best human beings we can be. Yeah. We're not going to be able to be the, the, live the most joyful lives we can live. Right. Yeah, I mean, change is the one constant. Right? Yes. And if you're doing any sort of, even if you're not doing any sort of personal growth, you're growing and you're expanding. You might fight it, resist it, deny it, but we, we all. <laughs> And, you know, it wasn't very many years ago that initially when, when same-sex marriage was really showing up, I was against it. I thought it was a horrible idea. And then as I got challenged on it, I realized, well, I just think it's a bad idea because it's not what I'm used to. And like, what, when, you know, so, well, what is, so what if, what if this happens? Like, nothing. Yeah. Right? What, what yeah. if I'm close to nothing here? So I just, like, oh. I had issues with it. I couldn't, you know, bring myself to support it when it was first starting to break out onto the scene and so forth. Because, you know, another part of, a part of me focusing on being the best human being I can be was not really getting involved with the LGBT community. I am involved. I'm more involved now than I ever have been in the past because I see how the community I mean, I've always known that the community wasn't just, you no know, the, the, the bar-going, you know, trauma and drama crowd at all. Yet, you know, inevitably when my husband and I were, were would associate and go out with, with other gay couples, there was always just kind of like a, something going on that we're like, oh, we don't, we don't need this. You know, we don't want this in our lives. So we have made a conscious choice to just be a couple, not a gay couple, just a couple. We have made a conscious choice to have friends that are not part of that community. In fact, to this day, when I go to activities, you know, for the you no, know, the men's group, uh, for for the for the older and more mature gay men, um, Ivan won't go. He just does not want to go. <laughs> it's like sorry, but he doesn't want to have anything to do with it whatsoever. Um, Whereas me, it's like, these are part of our community as a whole. You know, these men are part of our community. And they deserve as much recognition as human beings, as the rest of us. Uh, just, you know, Ivan has his, his challenges with, with, you know, his previous experiences as, as, as well. And it's a generational thing for sure. It's a generational thing, and I'm not going to be, you know, force him to do anything he doesn't want to do. So, <laughs> I wonder if the, uh, the the stereotype of of the dramatic uh, gay man, like, is is that could that be at all like rooted in just a, a gay man's more willingness to speak about what they're feeling and what's going on? Oh gosh, <laughs> we could do probably five episodes about that whole. <laughs> this is these are my observations. My observation is that the yes to answer your question, yes, you know the 
fully accepting flamboyant flame of a gay man that you know is the stereotypical you know just out there in your face that is one part of the community they are the most vocal part of the community just like you know you can paint with a very broad brush and say that everybody of a particular political you know persuasion are you know, are, are, you know, environmentalist extremists or, or bigoted, you know, Ku Klux Klaners or whatever. I mean, it's just, it's just, it, it's general overgeneralization, but because they are so in your face about how they live their lives, they absolutely end up becoming like part of the, the stereotypical aspect. In fact, you know, there's a show a while back, I remember, I, I actually rather enjoyed it a lot. It was you no know, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. It was on Bravo. And um, the one, the one of, the, of the five queer guys that were you know, helping out the straight men become you know, these awesome you know, guys, the one who ended up getting, being, getting booked for all the interviews and getting all the attention was the most flamboyant one, Carson Kretley. <laughs> and I'm like, because it is, there is this image and, and, ho and Hollywood itself, in spite of, you know, probably 40 to 45% of all the people that work in Hollywood are members of the LGBT community and not all of them at all are, are, are you know, the, the crazy flamboyant type. But because that is the image that Hollywood has expected, that's, the, that's what continues to get portrayed. Right. Yeah. They, to be easily identified, not having to question, oh, is he gay? Is he straight? Does it matter? You want, yes. So, oh, who's obviously gay? We need one of them for our show. Bang. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Let's get the token gay guy and then, you know, that's it. But, you know, there's so many, I mean, I have been thrilled to see how more and more men who just live lie just live their lives as they choose to live it they don't they don't i mean i'm i'm one of those i don't know know all the broadway tunes if anything i don't like broadway tunes okay i, I don't i i did not get the decorator gene um I, there's so many things about me that just don't fit that stereotype at all um and and there the majority of the community is like that and and but what i found is that what happened is at least in my generation before the millennials before you know the big transition and so forth my generation and gen generations that came before when they were obviously you know if they came out they would be rejected by their families so they go to purchase they go to be embraced by the very community that's supposed to accept them but in this community there's a certain set of there's a checklist of behaviors that you must adhere to. You must know, know your show tunes. You must do this. You must do that. And all of And I'm like, I don't care about any of that. I don't, you know, I don't care about the, the types of, of crystal that I have in my case at home. I don't care about, you know, the dinner parties. I don't care about any of that. I just, you know, I just want to be me, you know? And, and, uh, and yet, and, and part of it was, you know, the trauma and drama, you know, just, you know, getting caught up in everybody's shit and everything else and, and 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 that was that was the more dysfunctional aspect of the community and what's what i found was what i it was a shocking discovery and there are many many members of the lgbt community who will confirm this and that is we are lgbt community treats itself worse than society than the society at large has ever treated them 
they tend to discriminate more against each other than society does, than general society does. I mean, it's just, it's awful. So, you know, you've already been rejected once. And then in order not to be rejected again by the very community that's supposed to embrace you, you start engaging in these, doing these things that honestly can, are really not part of who you are. And so that dysfunctional behavior, you know, the, the bitchy, catty, you know, image of, of, of the, the drama queen ends up becoming part of, of you know, the, the popular imagery and almost a mandatory aspect of, of gay life, at least in previous generations, because of the desperate need to fit in, the desperate need to be accepted because you've already been rejected once and thank God we're not there anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so does, does the Mormon church still have the, this sort of conversion reparative therapy happening? Is this, is this still a thing? It is no longer officially part of the LDS social services, um, the, but they are still supportive of it. So it's no longer, there's no longer an official stance on it. It's no longer officially it's, you know, practiced um, by therapists that are associated with the church but it is still very much accepted and um, encouraged, if you will, just not in an official capacity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's unfortunate. It's interesting because not long ago I ran into a couple of missionaries from the, from, from the church and, you know, we were talking and I'm, I'm always open and happy to talk to them. And, you know, what's like, uh, and they went to the whole spiel of, you know, we're, we're, we're representatives of Jesus Christ. Would you be interested? And I said, no, I have members of my family who are, who are Mormon. Um, but I, have you ever thought about, you know, have you ever thought about uh, accepting the gospel and being baptized? I have my, I have chosen a path that works well for me. Besides, I'm not really welcome. According to official church doctrine, I am an apostate. <laughs> and so I didn't say anything else. They're just kind of like, oh, you know, you can see there, like the gears were working in their head. <laughs> and so eventually, you know, they said, oh, so do you live alone? No, I live with my husband. Then I'm like, oh, okay. Now they understand the whole apostate, you know, comment and so forth. But I thought it was just an interesting interaction um what i found is that there was a time and i and i still have my knee-jerk reactions to to just evangelical or religious institutions in general that's my human side having those reactions but i've been grateful for the opportunity to interact and to have those experiences and to and to be a human being to be a man and be comfortable in my skin and learn to love, apply the same principles that are preached but not practiced by many dogmatic institutions and those who, are, who follow dogma versus um, spirituality, as I like to make that, distinct, uh, that distinction, um, to practice the very things that I, was, that I always believed in and that I was taught. And so when I'm faced with somebody who's just frothing at the mouth simply because of who I am, that's okay. I'll let you be in that space. I'll let you, you know, obsess over what other people are doing because obviously there's, there are things about your life that you don't like and so you want to focus elsewhere to distract yourself from your own life. And that's okay. I still love you no matter what. Love you, man. <laughs> <laughs>
So, so, so you mentioned that you know the the time in college and the frat was re- almost waxing nostalgic about how you felt so comfortable in your own skin and, and yeah. comfortable being a man among men. And yeah. so, do you, do you ever fantasize and think about like, oh, I'd love to make you know the adult frat house and, and have a bunch of people together again, or or is that just like no way? <laughs> um, yes and no. Yeah, I, I kind of go back between. I do kind of go back and forth between. Yeah, that'd be so awesome. It's like, oh hell. Yeah, I I go to both extremes. In the end, I realized that that was a very good, incredible time of my life. I'm really grateful that I had it. Um, I would prefer to have the more adult um, experience now. I mean, it wasn't very much an an adult experience, but I think I would rather have an experience now that is more aligned with who I am now, Hmm. based off of, you know, the progress that I've made, the things that I've discovered about myself, the totality of who I am, something that's more aligned with that experience versus, you know, um, you know, the, trying to recreate something that I've already done. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, again, your experience, uh, my experience with, with the Mankind Project, it really proves, it really proves to me for the first time mm-hmm. the, the value, the synchronicity, the support of being around, um, other men, or even, I, I, I believe the same, you know, women gathering around women, and they seem to do it more often in a healthier way than, you know, kind of traditionally, in my, in my viewpoint, a gathering of men almost like brought out the worst aspect of other men. Right, yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. And, and that can happen, particularly, you know, if it's one of those, you know, those gatherings that, that focuses on all of the, you know, the stereotypical things that are that are supposed to define what, what a man is you know or especially a straight man yeah yeah right, um, just some debauchery <laughs> fest and yeah yeah exactly and to, to see groups like the mankind project um and other in other groups that are out there are focusing on being responsible just accepting yourself being accepting and loving yourself as a human being even generation before ours, like I don't, I don't have any personal experience with the lodge, and the Knights of Columbus, and uh, you know the moose and the elks and all of these right. different things that re- a lot of them existed, but they were all men only groups. They, they were fraternal organizations, absolutely. In fact, um, fraternities really didn't start off as what they are now. They've evolved into what they are now, but the Greek letter or, uh, societies started off as more an academic pursuit. So, you know, men coming together to, to pursue mutual interests, particularly, um, not economic, but mutual academic interests, you know, but there was, but many of those older organizations still had a very rigid set of rules that you still had to adhere to. And if you, you know, you fell outside of the, you know, what was deemed acceptable or appropriate, then, you know, you're gone, you're out. And and so yeah, they they were a predecessor. They served a purpose, and they did a lot of good. But to me, the next step and the next evolution of men's organizations in general is the men's organization that allows a man to be to, to define for himself how he who he is, what he is, and how he wishes to to live his life and how he wants to to relate to other men 
and to do so in a supportive environment in which there aren't necessarily rules, but there are certainly good examples, and there are examples of what it means to be, uh, of what it, what it means to be a healthy, well-adjusted man. Yeah, and ideally, your own peer group does that. Yes, but but most aren't right. Exactly, to open there aren't you know mentally, secretly. Yes, they would support yeah. me, or maybe you assume the opposite, that even though they're my yeah. friends, they're all not supporting me in whatever right. I'm going to be doing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, if you want to be emotional, great. If you want to be stoic, great. It doesn't matter. The fact that, that you are there, comfortable as yourself, you can be yourself, and that there is going to be no judgment whatsoever in that support, in that brotherhood, that's, I mean, to me, that's like, that, that's the platinum standard. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, this is a, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I've definitely uh, learned some of your experiences and just aspects of them that I was not familiar with at all. Um, I'm, I'm glad we're both comfortable being a man among men and uh, the different paths that get us there. And, and the share, just to point out that there's, uh, there's infinite paths to get, you know, all of our listeners, wherever they want to go as well. And it, yeah. it, it's, you know, take a step, you know, get, push that boundary, you know? Don't, don't just yeah. settle for, especially, especially if you don't feel good where you are, don't settle for that feeling. Indeed, indeed. You know, our paths are infinitely unique, and yet they can all run parallel to each other. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, uh, again, this has uh, been wonderful. Uh, thank you, Apio, for sharing so much uh, about your own experiences again. Um, and everyone can join us live next Tuesday, November 15th at 8 p.m. Eastern for another episode of Real Men Feel. We will be joined by shaman Brad Littlefrog Hudson. Talk about the path of a shaman and what does that mean? And how does one become a shaman if you wanted to? Why would you want to? How did Brad do it? What's it all about? So, uh, again, I think it'll be really interesting. It's going to be some firsthand experiences about, you know, a man and his journey. Because we're all on them. <laughs> And Brad's freaking awesome. Yeah, yeah. Brad's a good man. Um, so until then, check out realmenfeel.org. Uh, consider joining our private Facebook group. And um, give us a review. Subscribe on iTunes. Give us some feedback. Tell us what you'd like to hear next. Tell us what you want to hear never again from us. You know, it's, it's all good. We're open to it all. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. <laughs> so uh, um, we, we bid you adieu. And uh, whenever you listen to this, uh, good luck. Next president, whoever you may be. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't matter. We're all, we're all, we're all you know, coming together for the better good. So it doesn't yeah. really matter who's president. All right. Thanks for listening. All right. Take care. <laughs>